Uh, I'll make this correction uh, during the announcements, too, at the end. You'll notice in the bulletin, it has the Bonham funeral taking place on Friday. That's going to be on Saturday. So that's just a misprint. So uh, please take note of that. I'm sure you probably figured it out, but I just want to make sure you're clear on that. Of course, we've had several people who've lost loved ones recently. The visitation for uh, Bobby Brazel's brother is taking place right now. Over at Kessler, it'll be going on uh, till 8 o'clock, so let's remember that family in our prayers. As far as an update on the sick, if you've uh, got your bulletin, you should be updated on that as well. Uh, before we get started and have a prayer to begin, I just want to kind of let you know what I kind of like to do when I teach class. I don't see this class as my class. I see it as your class, and that's how I want it to be treated. I 
I do appreciate, even though I know it may be somewhat difficult in this setting, I appreciate any remarks uh, that you can make, any observations that you want to make, feel free to speak up. And I would appreciate that very, very much because uh, that's what's going to make this class what it ought to be. So please feel free to speak up if you desire to do so. And we'll make sure that uh, we get your comment out there. If there's nothing else before we begin, uh, let's have a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day that you blessed us with, we are indeed thankful and grateful. We recognize the fact that you are our creator. You're the source of all blessings. And without you, we would have nothing and we could be nothing. Father, at this time, we're mindful of many that we know who are sick. Uh, some more seriously than others. And Father, you know their needs. And we pray that you would watch over each one that is sick, that the attention medically that they're receiving would be such that it would have a positive impact on their health and they may be even restored to their health. Father, we pray for the several who've lost loved ones. We know that many are hurting at this time due to experiencing that loss and uh, we pray that you would be with the Bonham family and the Brazel family. Uh, we pray that you would be with the Yates family as well and Father we pray that you would be with the Gardner family as they deal with their loss as well. There are others here Father who are still <clears throat> experiencing grief and emptiness because of their loss, we pray that your hand of healing and hope and strength would be upon them. Father, we're so thankful for the church that meets here at Boonville. We're thankful for our leadership here. We pray that you would bless our elders as they lead us uh, here at this church, that they would always endeavor to put you first in all things. And may we, as the members here, always respect them and honor them uh, as you would have us to do. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for his willingness to come and to live a perfect life and to give his life on the cross for our sins and thus give us hope, hope for eternal life beyond this life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we are going to deal with, if you haven't seen already, Men from the patriarchal age. I think there's a lot of lessons that, that we can learn from those individuals. And we're going to look at various individuals as we go through this next week. And here I am starting this quarter, and I'm going to be gone next Wednesday night. I've got to speak at West Corinth, Church of Christ, in their series. So uh, we're going to have a substitute uh, here next week. So I apologize for that. And hopefully it won't happen, but maybe one or two more times, and uh, we'll get through this. But as we think about the men from the patriarchal age, I hope we'll understand that these are individuals that are human beings just like us. There's no, they're no different from us. They're flesh and blood subject to weaknesses and shortcomings and temptations and sin, just like we are today. And so let's don't paint the picture that these individuals are somehow, you know, supernatural, uh, they're no different from us today. Now, of course, we're going to begin with the first man, Adam. Got a couple of questions I want you to answer before we get started. Do y'all know what excuse Adam gave to his children as to why they were no longer lived in Eden? What excuse did Adam give his children for the fact that they were no longer able to leave and live in the beautiful Garden of Eden. All right, your mother ate us out of house and home. All right, so that was the answer he gave. Now, what did Adam say on the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. Okay. All right. Thought you might like that one, but anyhow, maybe you'll catch that one later on when you get home. Okay. All right, what we're going to do tonight as we begin, and I, yeah, I forgot about the PowerPoint. Do I need to run that or y'all going to run that? Thank you. I forgot all about the PowerPoint. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some basic lessons 
that we learn from Adam and make some practical applications to us today. And certainly we can't be completely exhaustive in all these observations. But first of all, Adam was created miraculously on the sixth day of creation week. You know, you turn over to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's an amazing passage. The Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the face of the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female created he them. To me, one of the most amazing passages in all the Bible where God said, or the Bible talks about how God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Can you imagine what that must have looked like if you could have observed that happening? He formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a soul, an eternal soul. That's just an amazing passage when you think about what's involved in that, how man came into being uh, to begin with. Now, we know the Bible says that, you know, one day man, our bodies are going to return to the dust from whence they came, but the Spirit's going to return to God who gave it. That's what that's talking about. One day we're going to return to dust. And yet when we perish physically, our bodies, we are going to continue to live on forever and forever. And so, you know, we need to understand, and I don't have to deal with this point extensively at all tonight, man and Adam did not evolve from lower forms. You know, Adam didn't come from slime, you know, millions and millions of years ago. And, uh, you know, I was watching a very, very wonderful, what I thought, National Geographic. Uh, you may have seen the series on animals of the earth. And uh, if they just shut their mouths and let us watch the beautiful wildlife, it'd be okay. You know, they showed these chimpanzees and they talked about, you know, our ancestors here. All these millions of years ago, you know, our relatives, these are our relatives as they put it. Now, I'm not related to a monkey. I don't know about you. All right? No monkey is a relative of mine. I love monkeys. I wouldn't mind having a pet monkey. But, you know, uh, man did not come from monkeys. Man did not come from lower species. And somebody said one time that atheism is a strange thing because even the demons never fail into that particular vice. You know, even demons, the devils themselves, James 2 and verse 19, never believed in evolution. They never believed it at all. And so we need to understand that man did not evolve from lower forms. Now, we could talk a lot about technical terms that prove the existence of God and how that God created man. And I think a lot of us know the various arguments that can be put forth. We've heard the term maybe uh, biogenesis and abiogenesis. One of those means that, you know, life cannot come from non-life. We know that, right? You know, there's no way. It's never been proven. It never will be proved that life came from nothing. There always has to be life in order for life to exist. And the idea of abiogenesis, that life came from non-life, is simply false. And even those that would advocate and teach uh, strongly in the theory of evolution will acknowledge that. Of course, you know, the kids down front, we sing that song from Hebrews 3 and verse 4, Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. 
You know, when I see a house, for example, that's newly built, to me it's amazing that man could do something like that. He could build a structure like that. Or sometimes you visit uh, a, a city, and maybe you go to some older parts of that city, and you see a magnificent building. The architecture around it's just unbelievable. Has anybody ever thought that that just came into existence by itself? You know, what if I told you that a Boeing 747 came into existence when people just piled up everything they could into a junkyard and a whirlwind came through and after that whirlwind was finished, out came this brand new Boeing 747. People would laugh you out of town, wouldn't they? If you actually said that like you believed it. It's foolish. And yet you think about how nature itself the beauty of it, how everything functions. You, we could give detail after detail if we had time tonight talking about various kinds of species. And in every case, it looks as if it were made that way. It couldn't have survived if it had evolved. And so let's understand the wonder of creation. God spoke this world into existence. God created man from the dust of the earth. And we know that Adam and Eve were made at the beginning, according to Matthew 19, verse 4. Uh, a, few million, uh, a few million years did not pass after the beginning. Now, some people uh, try to rationalize this by using and believing in theistic evolution. You all know what theistic evolution is, don't you? It's the idea that, yeah, God's responsible for life, but he used evolution to do it. And all that is is compromise. It's a false teaching. It's a false idea. The Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 emphasized the fact that the evening and the morning were the first day, 24-hour period. And so this idea, you know, just to get along with people, to get along with the intelligent people, so-called, of our culture today, uh, the well-learned and advocate the idea of theistic evolution is something that is false. And uh, it's something that we as Christians simply must not ever begin to accept. And so, as you think about Adam, he was created miraculously on day six of the creation week. And then, as we make some practical application to that, think about you and how you're here today. What's your purpose for existing? Why are you here on this earth? Well, the kids would say, you know, and hopefully you as well, we're here to glorify God, right? How do we glorify God? What's the purpose of my existence? Well, my existence today is to serve God and serve others to the best of my ability, bringing glory and honor to God. And so that's why I exist. That's why I was created. And uh, therefore, we need to realize that as special as creation was, it's just as marvelous that we're here today and that we're able to do what we can do in regard to seeing and hearing and functioning and moving. It's just something to, uh, it's something grand to, to behold. All right, let's look at the second point here. And I think this is important. Adam was created in the image of God. Now, this refers to the spiritual and moral image, not physical image. In regard to our moral and spiritual beings, we are created in the image of God. Now, think about the expression there, the image of God. You know, back in the days, for example, of the Roman Empire, in many cases, they would make a statue of the reigning emperor and that statue would be placed in different parts of the empire. And when anybody saw that statue, it would remind them of who's in charge. In other words, that image portrayed the fact that this particular emperor is king. He has all authority. He's in charge. And that statue was an image, you might say, of the emperor himself. Well, let's think about it this way. We're made in the image of God, right? That means that wherever we go, we represent God, don't we? 
We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent God as we go about our daily activities. And we need to understand that that's a very important responsibility. So just like that statue represented the particular emperor, we in this life, as we live each day, we are to represent God. And man is the only creature of God with the ability to choose between right and wrong. God has given us the ability to make moral choices. He's given us the ability to reason and to make choices based upon what is morally right and morally wrong. In fact, man is the only creature on earth that has both body and spirit. And so what we all need to understand and what you need to understand about yourself is that you are a soul. That's what you are. You happen to have a body, right? One day that body's going to cease to exist, but you are going to continue to exist. See, who, who I am is not based upon this physical body. Who I am is an eternal being. I happen to have a body for a few years upon this earth, but when that body returns to the earth, who I am is going to continue to live on forever and forever. I know I used to think when I was a kid growing up, preachers would say, you know, nothing is more important than your soul. Well, that's like saying nothing is more important than your prized possession. You know, to me as a child, that seemed to say, well, a soul is my possession. It's something that I have. It's not really me. But that's not what the preacher meant, you know, and uh, that's not what we need to think as well. Our soul is who we are and what we are. And we are going to continue to live on and on forever and forever. Based upon that mindset, uh, we live our lives in anticipation of when we do leave this life and go into eternity. And so Adam was created in the image of God. All right, the next point I want to point out is that Adam was given a law to live by. Anybody know what the law was to Adam? What law did Adam live by? Anybody? Well, where did the law come from? All right, it came from God. God... What God said was the law for Adam. You think about the intimate relationship that they had at the beginning with God. You know, the Bible talks about God, you know, walking through the garden in the cool of the evening. And you think about how intimate that relationship was with God before sin came on the scene. And of course, that law that Adam and Eve lived by was whatever God said. And among those things, God said was, you don't eat of a certain tree. You know, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, what's God's law to us today? What's our law? The Bible? More specifically, the New Testament. You know, Jesus, for example, in John 12, 48 says, He who rejects me and receives not my words... He hath one that judgeth him, the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What's going to judge us in the last day? It's going to be the words of Jesus. And you think about what Paul said in one of his epistles. He said, you need to remember that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul said, what I have wrote to you and what I am teaching you these did not come in and of myself. These things came by revelation. And so it's important to know that just as Adam and Eve, their law was what God said. In essence, that's our law as well, but God speaks to us today through His Word. And, uh, you know, I talk to people all the time that think that God spoke to them or God put this on my heart. Now, you think about before the New Testament existed in the first century, how could the apostles and how did the apostles prove that what they said was true? What? The signs and wonders, right? Mark chapter 16 talks about these signs shall follow them that believe. They, in other words, when the apostles said 
and taught something from God, they verified it by the miraculous. They proved that what they said was from God. And that's far different from somebody saying that God spoke to me. Now, if somebody said that, you better have something to back it up. You'd be able to prove that by some miraculous sign or wonder. You know, anybody can say anything they want to say, can't they? You know, it may be they got some voices talking to them. I don't know, but it's not God. And uh, we need to realize today that God speaks to us through his word and only through his word. And uh, according to the Hebrew writer, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And you'll recall before Jesus went back into heaven, he told his apostles, you know, you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said the comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. And what's he going to do? He's going to guide you, who? The apostles, not everybody else. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance. What was that show that's... What's that show that about Jesus Christ? Oh, is it the 12? What's that series on TV? Huh? The Chosen. I mean, I watched a couple, three episodes of that before I lost my free viewing, but, you know, the last one I watched, if I can remember right, and it disturbed me quite a bit. I saw the episode where Jesus was practicing the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to come up with that sermon. They showed him out there by the water, and he's walking back and forth. Blessed are uh-huh, blessed are they. And he was trying to figure out what he was going to say on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, folks, that's hogwash. All right? Jesus didn't have to practice or study what he was going to say. He knew exactly what he was going to say. Neither did the apostles. You know, they were told, whatever you speak shall be given to you at that moment. And they were endowed uh, with supernatural inspiration. The Holy Spirit, the comfort of her game, and guide them into all truth. And so inspiration was now in the inspired men. Those inspired men wrote the New Testament, and now we have the inspired Word of God in a book. And so that's how God reveals Himself to, to us today. Uh, Maybe it's easy to use that expression, God put this on my heart. Did he? You may feel strongly about it. Did God put that on your heart? You better have some proof that he did, right? You may feel strongly about it. But, you know, uh, we need to understand that, you know, when God reveals himself, of course, we know he's not going to do that anymore. He's, all revelation is now complete. But if we claim that God has revealed himself to us or to someone, there's got to be proof. So that was the law that Adam lived by. Now, could Adam know God's law? Could Adam understand God's law? Was he confused? No, he wasn't confused. He understood exactly what God's law was. What about us today? Can we understand God's law? Yes, we can. If you want to turn in your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, Paul said, if indeed ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace which was given to me for you. Now, Paul was an apostle, right? He received revelation from God. And he said here, you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of the Lord which has been given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Now, when we talk about mystery here in the Bible, we're not talking about, you know, some mystery you'd see on TV, you know, that's going to, you know, be surprising. The mystery is something that was unknown, but now it has become known, right? And so Paul said that he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul said, we can understand God's will. And of course, when you think about what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, he said, whereby when you read, you may understand. Jesus even said in John 17 verse 17, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. And so there is an objective body of truth. Now we live in a time today 
you know, in which we are subject to relativism. You know, what's right for you may not be right for me. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me, right? It's up to the individual. And who are you to say that what I believe is wrong and I can't say the same thing to you? Everything is subjective. It's up to the individual. But there is a such thing as objective truth. And Jesus made that clear when he said, sanctify them through your truth. All right. Adam was given a law to live by. Fourthly, Adam sinned by violating God's law, by doing that which God said not to do. Now, over in the book of 1 John 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. What is sin? According to that passage. Transgressing the law. We often hear the... Uh, the definition of sin is to, uh, as to miss the mark. And so uh, we sin when we fail to do what God has commanded. And the word sin in the New Testament is from an original word that means to miss the mark. And uh, certainly we can sin by not doing what God said. We can sin by violating what God said. What did James chapter 4 and verse 17 tell us? Therefore to him who knows to do good, but doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, we hear the term sin of omission, sin of commission. I guess those are appropriate terms for what we're talking about. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, you know, Paul said, Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that what? Obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here it's very plainly stated that those that do not obey God are going to be lost because of their sin. Of course, in the great judgment scene over in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, the Bible says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of His holy angels with Him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And we know that judgment scene goes on when he says to the goats, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. To those who have lived righteously, he says, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And many of these people that were condemned were condemned because of things they had not done in addition to things that they had done. And so we can sin by what we do as well as by what we not do. By what we not do. You know, I, I, I want to make this point here. We always hear about the false doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy, right? Once saved, always saved. I want you to understand that the possibility of being lost doesn't mean the probability of being lost. You hear what I'm saying? Just because it's possible for one to be lost, that doesn't mean it's necessarily probable. We need to have confidence in living the Christian life. I need to realize that it's because of the blood of Jesus that I'm saved. It's because of my obedience and coming into contact with that blood that I can come boldly into the throne of God's grace. Not because of who I am or what I've done. I can't do enough good things to cause one sin to be forgiven. And so just because there's a possibility of falling away doesn't necessarily mean it's probably going to happen. We don't need to live in fear all the time. We need to live in confidence because of Jesus Christ and His blood and His promises. Now, let's go on to the next one. I ain't got much time. A punishment for sin was certain. You know, the serpent had caused Eve to think that the punishment would not be as God said it would be. You know, Satan came to Eve and Satan says, Hath God said that you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it? Did you know he made an addition to God's word there? Have you ever thought about that? What did God say to Adam and Eve? Don't eat it. Did he say anywhere, don't touch it? Kind of makes a little addition there, in my opinion. You know, did, did God ever say don't touch it? I don't know if he did or not, but it didn't look like he did. 
So Satan kind of adds to it. He, God said, you know, God said don't eat it. He said don't touch it. Of course, he went on to say, you will not surely die. And uh, the punishment for sin was certain. And of course, <clears throat> Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, uh, we read about how that Adam knew what was happening. The woman was deceived, and then, of course, God goes into the idea that, you know, man's role is because of creation. Uh, Eve knew what God said, but was convinced by the serpent that God really didn't mean what he said. And so uh, he, she was deceived by the serpent. And we need to understand that, uh, you know, we can be deceived as well. Number six, quickly, Adam brought sin into the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Adam is said to have brought sin into this world. And, of course, the death under consideration here is spiritual death. All right? And uh, man... Uh, will die spiritually because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Now, the next point I want to make quickly is that physical death is the consequence, not the punishment, of the sin of Adam. Now, we know they were driven from the garden, right? They were punished for their sin. But we need to think about the differences between punishment and consequences. You know, children many times suffer the consequences of the sin of drunkenness, maybe on the part of their parents, but they don't suffer punishment for that, do they? And so there's a difference between punishment and consequences. You know, if somebody gets drunk and they drive and they kill an innocent family, you know, that's not a punishment of God. That's a consequence of somebody else's decision, somebody else's sin. And so we need to understand that physical death, when it happens, it is the consequence of sin in general it's not a punishment of God for sin. And then let's talk about as we close, I've got just a few minutes here, God's plan for marriage is demonstrated by Adam. Now quickly, if you look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, as we look at this text that maybe you're familiar with, the Pharisees came to Jesus tempting him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God that joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning... It hath not been so. He said, I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Now, when Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, where did he go to? Did he go back to Moses? Now, this is a lot. We could have weeks talking about this. He went back to the law of God, didn't he? He went back to the very, very beginning. And God's plan for marriage has never changed. You know, our young people hear, you know, one man for one woman for life, and that's true. Somebody said, well, what does Matthew 19, verse 9 actually mean? Well, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. Well, what's the Lord actually saying there, somebody said? Well... Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be, what? Well, what's hard, I think, is that it's humanity, you know, our own faults and so forth. But, you know, that's what it says. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Whosoever marries her that is put away, commits adultery. It doesn't need explaining, really. It just needs believing and accepting and obeying. And, of course, Jesus made it clear in other places for example, he said, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery, period. You know, in other verses it says that. But here Jesus had an exception, all right? 
One exception, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, commits adultery. And so uh, we need to understand this is God's plan from the very beginning. And it's very interesting that in this particular passage, God goes to the very beginning. He restores God's plan for the home and God's plan for marriage today. And so we need to be thankful that uh, the Bible is very clear in what it says and, and respect and honor God's plan for marriage. Now, I've got some more of these sheets down here if you want them. It's about time for the bell to ring. If somebody tried to pass them out before class, and I probably missed somebody. But one of the points that I wanted to make here that we won't have time to make is that Adam is a type of Christ. For example, if you look there, it says, Adam was miraculously created. Jesus Christ had a miraculous birth, right? The virgin birth. Adam didn't have a wife at first, right? Who's the wife of Jesus? The church. Jesus didn't have a bride to begin with either, did he? All right. Uh, Adam was put to sleep, right? Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Adam suffered and bled for his wife. Jesus suffered and bled for his church. Adam loved and gave self for his wife. Jesus Christ loved and gave himself for the church. Adam, his side was open while he slept. Jesus Christ, his side was open while he was hanging on the cross. Adam had a rib taken for a bride. Jesus Christ had blood taken for the bride-to-be. Adam awoke and was revived, and Jesus arose from the dead, and he lives. Eve was created by miracle. The establishment of the church was accompanied by miracles. Jesus, uh, Adam was the head of his wife, and Jesus is the head of his bride, the church. Eve was subject to Adam. The church is subject to Jesus Christ. Adam only had one wife. Jesus Christ only has one church, right? We could talk about that a long time. Eve was married to Adam. We, in essence, as the one body of the church, are married to Christ. Eve wore a name, right? Eve, mother of all living. What's our name? Christian, all right? We wear the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Adam was to multiply. The church is to multiply, right? We have the Great Commission. Adam was born into family. We're born into the family of God. Uh, Adam was born, well, mankind in general was born of natural birth. We have the new birth and no miracle. Uh, in the beginning, they were born of seed. We're born of the word of God. I think we're missing, we're about done. Uh, Adam brought physical death. Jesus brought resurrection from the dead. Uh, Adam began, begat a son in his image, and we are to wear the image of Christ. So if you want some of these, and you can get one, you can come down here and get one. But let me say thank you for listening tonight. I appreciate your attention. And I'm looking forward to uh, our next time that we'll be together. Thank you very, very much.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord. All right, let's go and get started tonight if we can, please. We are so thankful that uh, you're here tonight. We want to welcome you. We have visitors once again tonight. We're always thankful to have our guests, and we hope that you want to come back and worship with us anytime that you can. We will be meeting on Sunday again at 930, and if you're able to come and be a part of that, you will be our honored guest. I hope you had a chance to grab one of the bulletins. Uh, if you grab that, you'll notice the update on the 6th, so please check that out, and let's do everything we can to, to encourage uh, those that are sick. Uh, it's very good to see Brother Bonner here tonight, and uh, we extend our sympathy to the family of Sister Sandra, Sandy, and uh, she passed away this past Sunday. She and... Chuck are both a vital part of this congregation, and they're going to be very. She's going to be very much missed uh, by all of us, and we want to extend our deepest sympathy uh, to you tonight and to the family. Uh, the service, contrary to what the bulletin says, and we're going to blame that on autocorrect. All right, uh, the funeral is going to be this coming Saturday at two o'clock, and it's going to be here at the building. And visitation is going to be from uh, 10 a.m. until 2 to the time of the funeral, also this coming Saturday here at the building. So uh, let's remember the Bonner family in our prayers. We also want to express our deepest sympathy to Bobby Brazel uh, in the unexpected loss of his brother. Let me go back before I get in trouble here. I've got to go back to uh, the previous announcement. We are going to be feeding the Bonner family following the funeral on Saturday. And uh, there is a list back on the tables in the foyer. If you will please uh, go back there tonight and look at that list and sign it, uh, sign up to bring food, it would be much appreciated. So please keep that in mind. Uh, but we do want to express our sympathy to Brother Bobby Brazel in the unexpected passing of his brother, Freddie, uh, yesterday morning. Visitation is tonight until 8 o'clock over at Kessler Funeral Home. The funeral service will be tomorrow morning at 11, also at the Kessler Funeral Home in Boonville. Our youth and family retreat is coming up this Friday through Sunday. We're going to have several away uh, this coming Lord's Day morning. And those of you that are planning to go on this retreat, you need to meet tonight in the little chapel immediately following services. It's very, very important. Also, I want to remind those in the Golden Circle of our monthly luncheon that will be this coming Tuesday, May 10th at 1130. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight uh, for our devotional. Uh, Drew Bruce is going to be leading our singing, and I'm going to ask uh, Brother Tommy, if you will, to lead our prayer at the appropriate time. Invitation song will not be 904, 904 will be the invitation song. If you want to mark it this time. Once you get that mark, you can turn your Bibles over. I mean, your song books over to 1014. It's one we all know pretty well. Um, 1014, we'll sing. We'll sing the first verse twice. 1014. Jesus loves me. 
This coming Sunday is what we call Mother's Day. And I thought it might be good just a little bit, a few days before we have Mother's Day, to focus some thoughts on uh, somebody that uh, we can learn a lot from when it comes to being a mother. You know, the worthy woman in Proverbs chapter uh, 31 says, her children rise up and bless her. The King James Version says, her children rise up and call her blessed. You know, mothers are very, very special. Uh, in a Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown said, everyone needs somebody to love them, to trust them, to care for them, to support them, to laugh and cry with them. And Lucy responded, that's a lot of people. And Snoopy added, or just one wonderful mother. You know, perhaps a lot of us could rise up and call our mothers blessed. But you know, in Luke chapter 1, we are encouraged to call someone else's mother blessed. In, ver in uh, verse 42, Elizabeth said to a mother-to-be, Blessed are you among women. In verse 48, the woman whom Elizabeth addressed replied, For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now, of course, that passage is speaking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so all mothers are blessed, but Mary was especially blessed. Of all the Jewish women, God chose Mary to be the mother of his son. And I just want to very briefly and quickly here mention some of the reasons why God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. And these are applications that we can all make to our lives. Number one, she was a godly woman. She feared God. She also believed in God and not only believed in God, but believed in his power. And notice she had a very humble spirit. She didn't want attention. She didn't want uh, a lot of accolades for this. Also, she was submissive to the will of God. Whatever God desired and wanted, Mary was willing to go along with. She also knew the scriptures, Luke chapter 1, verses 38 and 48. Not only that, she was brave and she was courageous. You think about what she had to go through being a mother a mother that had no husband, an expectant mother who was going to be subject to perhaps ridicule because of her situation. But she was brave and courageous and all throughout her life with the young baby, she so, so showed courage as they had to flee to Egypt and as she uh, raised and, and tried to uh, raise the young boy into a man. She was also willing to accept this responsibility, a very serious responsibility. And she also expressed confidence in her son in John chapter 2, 3 through 5. And she was faithful to her task all the way to the end. Remember when Jesus was there on the cross? He said to John, woman, behold your son. She was always faithful until the end. And so, you know, to all mothers, as we... Think about Mother's Day, this coming Lord's Day. We think about your love and your devotion and your example and your encouragement and your unselfish spirit. But, you know, may it be that because we strive to live like Mary that our children will follow us and try to emulate our footsteps. Tonight as we sing the song of encouragement, maybe you have a need. Maybe you haven't been living faithfully before God. Maybe sin has come into your life and you may need to come tonight uh, confessing wrong and asking God to forgive you in prayer. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. You can always render obedience to Jesus Christ. If you're willing to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and repent of your sins, you can confess his name tonight and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of all your past sins. The Lord will add you to his church. And so tonight, if you're subject to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Have you been
Our Father, we are truly thankful that we've had the opportunity to be here tonight, to hear your word taught. And Father, we, we pray that as we leave this place tonight, we will take these things with us and that people can see the love of Jesus living through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.